Welcome to the SCOM podcast. This is our security and compliance podcast created by Quarter Cloud. I'm Kelly and I work at the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team. And we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil Talks Technical, where I keep it lighthearted with a selection of exciting guest speakers. Let's delve in. Thank you very much for joining us for the latest podcast here at Quarter Cloud. I am delighted to have one of the latest technologies that we're very excited to take into the more into the market and speaking to more of our customers with, um, and it's Extreme Networks. And joining us today is Darwood and Simon. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, you're obviously virtual. We're in. We're here in the podcast room. But for everybody listening, would you, Darwood, give a kind of a high level overview of Extreme Networks, a bit of the company history and background? I know you and Phil have got a long-standing relationship. Um, we've worked together for a long time, so obviously, I'm sure Phil, you can give your perspective. But Darwood, that would be really great. Excellent, and of course, uh, well, first of all, delighted to be here. Thank you for uh, having us. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, very interesting time right now, especially if you look at the market, um, you know, post-pandemic. We are seeing a major um, acceleration of that digital transformation. And that really falls perfectly into, you know, where Extreme is taking that sort of vision in terms of uh, our strategy and uh, technology roadmap. If you look at the background of Extreme, you know, it's more, it was focused on sort of plumbing and providing that um, access for uh, data across the network. You know, be it the uh, the local area network and the wireless, but there's been some major shift in our industry. Two key sort of shifts, and also now we're seeing the third evolution of, of of our technology. Firstly, the transformation of the the network layer into a more software defined network, uh, and then secondly, uh, the ability to consume and manage that uh, extended LAN, wireless LAN, and potentially now WAN. Uh, more uh, from a point of view of a cloud-based uh, management plane in terms of managing that architecture. And that has his sort of key benefits. And then finally, you know, let's look at the, the hybrid workplace. Um, we're seeing a major shift in terms of um, that demarcation between a campus-based environment and more of a, shall we say, a distributed anywhere, anytime access. But we are seeing that sort of shift. And there's an expect- expectation from uh, our customers, you know, be it healthcare, education, and the, the, the wider commercial enterprise sector, end customers are expecting that consistent application experience, irrespective of how they are connecting into the, uh, to the network. And that's really where Extreme has really shifted into what we are calling today the infinite enterprise. How can we ensure we provide that infinite distributed ability to connect irrespective of application where that host is connecting. But more importantly, how can we ensure that we are providing a very consistent quality end user experience? And then finally, because of the demarcation is no longer there, uh, you know, the, the, it is a more distributed environment. How can we ensure that we are operating at scale? And that's really where our cloud-based architecture coupled with our software-defined fabric-based network as well as our ability to scale across a more dynamic um should we say consumption-based software-defined sd-wan layer is really coming to the fore and and that's where we believe we have a real edge in terms of not only uh, our pedigree in that market really the, the experience we have 
in terms of that technology, but also our ability to provide those enhanced improvements in terms of outcome uh, measurements. And that's really been driven by how do we consistently improve that application end-to-end experience across that wider wider IT estate. Um, and in terms of where we are today, I mean, we are, you know, we, we, we're doing great. We're punching above our weight. We've just had the Got the Magic Quadrant released, which is assesses all vendors in our market space. Two key areas it assesses. One is the ability to execute, uh, but also our visionary status in terms of how we're doing across uh, market expectations. And we are great to hear fourth consecutive year now, we are in the top right quadrant and we are moving towards that, you know, number one market leading status. We're very excited about uh, some of those accolades as well. And that's backed by our um, um, very strong customer service um, capability in terms of ensuring that we are supporting our partners and our customers to ensure that customer satisfaction remains at the highest sort of level. Uh, and, and now market capitalization Already revenues uh, increasing. You know we're on track to achieve over 1.1 billion revenue, but our market cap now is in a, in, in excess of 1.6 billion. So yeah, very excited to uh, really, you know, how how can we expand and grow that business? Um, but yeah, great to be here again. As I said, um, Kelly, and that provides you hopefully a, a high level of you in terms of how we're executing. Definitely, thank you. That gave us loads of information. I found it very interesting actually last week when you guys were in and understanding all the different layers of what you guys offer um was quite eye-opening so phil could we go backwards a little bit of your journey with them and how how we're using extreme networks and and more so with our customers and stuff because yeah we're good to know your journey of extreme as well a little bit yeah, I mean, I started working with, well, they were called, back in the day, I think they were called Cabletron, and then we were in Terrasys and then Extreme. So, again, where I used to work, we've run their equipment for, like, 15 years. Um, so, again, got I've gone through multiple refreshes of it mm-hmm. uh, in that time. It's always kind of proved to be extremely reliable, well-priced, and you know feature-rich, I guess. And I guess that's some of the stuff they're saying now is that it's kind of moved on. I think that Darwood was talking a little bit about the Fabric Connect, you know, and the stuff that they're kind of doing around that. But I think that even back in the day... You know, with the, with the older switches, the management was always amazing, and that was always the kind of the key part. Of the management you could deploying the switches, managing what was going on, configuring it was always really really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, now I've come over to Core to Cloud. The first thing I did was like, what access points have we got? Right, we're taking those out, uh, and obviously we're using Extreme internally, yep. uh, Extreme internally now. Uh, and again, the Cloud IQ management platform again moves. In, it's in the cloud, obviously, but it's so easy because obviously I'm remote to the office. Yep. Um, deploying access points is so easy. We did a profile. You get a new access point. You plug it in. It deploys the profile. You know, and again, I, I could even open like a remote session remotely through the web console if I want to manage the switch. Mm-hmm. So again, it's very, very friendly in the way it's doing it. I know, and I keep seeing updates in the console as it's going through, and I can see improvements coming in all the time. So yeah, it's really good. Um, and again, I'm re- I'm really interested to hear a bit more about this, the Fabric Connect, and the way that things are going because I can see that. It's going to really, you know, getting rid of things like BGP and things are going to really make a big difference uh, in the way when you're configuring things and again make it so much easier. So I think it's a really strong position, really. Simon, do you want to tell us a little bit? I mean, you did a great demo for us, but a bit more about the fabric and how that works. I know you showed me some great slides on it, but maybe you could have not been having the visual here. Would you be able to explain a little bit about how how it works? Um, uh, Because I found that very interesting on that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Extreme Fabric, or, or as we call it, Extreme um, Fabric Connect, it's kind of based off of um, a, pro- a, a protocol that we've had 
uh, around for a long time uh, called uh, Short Path Bridging. Um, we've made some enhancements to that so that we can extend different types of services um, uh, over over the SPD fabric. But w with the fabric, essentially, is what we're doing is um, we're, we're abstracting um, the services that we run across the network, the typical, typical services, um, you know, layer three, layer two type services, um, IPv6, uh, it can be VXLAN, it can be multicast services. So we're kind of abstracting those um, services from the physical infrastructure of the network and then using a simple layer two Ethernet-based switch path um, to um, forward those services to the edge points of the network um, and, and where they need to appear. So um, essentially what we're doing is we're collapsing that kind of traditional stack of protocols, um, you know, the, the, the one you mentioned before, uh, things like BGP, RSPF, um, MPLS, um, the, you know, PIM for your multicast, um, execution, we're kind of collapsing that all down into a single protocol. And that protocol is responsible for not only um, the network-wide communication um, of, of where all of the, the, the services uh, exist and need to go to, um, but also for transporting the data across the network as well. So, you know, what, what, that, what that gives us is uh, a couple of things. It, it, it dramatically simplifies the configuration tasks that um, you know your IT, your network admins have to go through uh, in order to bring a new service online or to extend the service from you know point A to point B from the data center out to the edge or between two data centers, uh, and it dramatically reduces the touch points that they need to uh, kind of engage with. So uh, you know things like your core switching, your, your distribution layer switching, um, because that's that's essentially where the fabric operates. Um, and the, the, the fabric automatically kind of communicates um, the, the, where these services need to go. Um, the IT admins don't really need to, it's kind of a hands-off, it gives you a hands-off uh, core of your network. You only have to provision services at the edge of the network, and then where those services exist is, is automatically communicated um, through the fabric. So, Simon, obviously, um, you're saying that improves the speed of deployment. What are the other kind of key benefits of it? So, we have a, we, like I said, we have a faster speed of uh, deployment, um, increased stability because we're not relying on this huge stack of, of protocols where, you know, if one thing goes wrong, if you have a problem with your SDP or your SPF and then your multicast falls down, your VGP falls down, we're not built on this kind of house of cards of traditional protocols, right? So, um, we're much more stable in that sense. It's just one thing that has to work, and generally it does work with, with um, uh, these. Um, of course, because we're not relying on all of the convergence times of all these different protocols, like spanning tree and LSPF, um, it's much faster to converge if there is a change in the path. So if the switch goes down, the fabric will automatically calculate the new sorted path. It's done with a single instance of ISIS, um, that communicate that new path out to every part of the fabric, so it, it's faster to, to converge. Um, I guess we're kind of reducing risk as well because um, 
you know, we're, we're taking away that need to touch the, the really risky critical parts of the network, your core switching and your distribution layer, uh, your core your core routers and your distribution layer. Nobody really wants to, to have to touch those unless they absolutely have to. That usually requires some sort of change control process, which, you know, slows the whole process down. We have to write a document and submit these change control processes control processes get get the approvals before we actually go in and do the work so it, it's um it, it's speeding the whole process up simplifying a little bit and, and and making it a lot more stable just as a um just from a connectivity uh standpoint um but also there's a a, a big security play uh in there as well so we are we're in, we're increasing our network security through segmentation through the segmentation um, but you know, that, that's not necessarily anything new, but we're doing it in an automated way and we're making it very, very simple to segment our, our networks off uh, into the, um, you know, uh, kind of layer two uh, sort of segments that go across the fabric. I mean, it's, it's um, Phil, it's worth um that's a key question that you, you, you asked about uh, the benefits. I mean, this this is deployed... Um, in excess of um, three, four, three and a half thousand our deployments globally, and in the in the UK, yeah, we have this deployed in some of the uh, most secure um, end user, uh, uh, you know, instances. For example, central government, you know, local government across the NHS, um, and 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 the the benefits that Simon mentioned, they, they are absolutely key. You know, IT resource challenges, as we know, security is top of mind. Um, so that operational efficiency you know that risk mitigation uh, as well as ensuring that um you know um, and because we're getting that best value for money over the course of that that investment that they, they are important aspects as well yeah and, and i think you know when we when we look at the, uh, the, the the kind of healthcare environment it's an incredibly diverse environment in terms of the user types in terms of the device types um that, that connect to the network. You know, when we spoke about it last week, we, we kind of said that in, in healthcare, they were doing I, IoT before IoT was kind of a, a, a big buzzword. So we have very sensitive information, but at times we can have some potentially weak uh, devices in terms of, you know, how they're built for security, um, both attached to the network at the same time. So how we separate those systems um, is a really critical thing in terms of the security of our network because what we don't want is for a potentially weak device, like, a, I don't know, a camera, or a potentially weak medical device to be breached and then used as a launch point to get to, um, you know, sensitive data, patient information um, that could be held on the network or even to attack, you know, um, medical devices that are... That are being deployed to, to give to give you know as a, as a primary healthcare to give life saving healthcare. So how we how we separate those devices, how we keep them segmented and, and from from being able to get to other parts of the network is is really really important. And that, I mean that's not necessarily something new. You know everybody knows that hypersegmentation is a good thing to do when you have this type of devices in your network. It's just traditionally it's been very complicated. Um, and very expensive to achieve um, properly. So just out of interest, you know, how's that segmentation done? I know back in 
the day when I was kind of using switches, going back a few years now, um, obviously used your knack and your policy, and the kind of restrictions were done via policy, and you'd literally have a policy right. for a printer, and you would say, this printer can only talk over these ports, and you could just apply it to that port, and it was quite easy. Is it done in a similar way, or has it changed from that day? I'm just interested. It's kind of both. So we still use we still use policy at the edge. We still use that um, control over you know the, the like I said the applications and the networks that because um, that's also be that's actually done at the actual edge port, isn't it as well? And that was always a differentiator. I remember when I was looking at differences between technologies that some technologies they would block, but it already have kind of gone into your network and then be blocked on the system. Whereas with with extreme, you were kind of it was blocking it actually at that edge port when it was doing the policy, so it never actually left. Or never got on, should you say, in the first place, isn't it? Right, right. So we still use that. We still use policy in conjunction with our fabric. So we're kind of just enhancing what we already have. So you can put that granular control at the edge of the network. But what happens is, um, as the data traverses the network, it's put into one of these, we call it an ISID. It's a service identifier that the fabric knows about. Um, we put it into um, an ISID, and that that is kind of, um, the the ISIS across the fabric kind of operate like um, you know ships in the night. You can't be in or out of the the ISIS. It, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's um, it, it, it's it's its own it's its own hyper segment, right? And because it's all based on um, you know layer two Ethernet based um, forwarding across the fabric, we're removing all of the IP addressing and the routing that goes on uh, in the middle of the network, and we know that. When attackers uh, breach a device at the edge of the network, um, it's doing IP scans and looking for, you know, gateways and hopping from VLAN to VLAN. That's how they get from your weak device to your sensitive um, information. And we're just denying them that underlying IP infrastructure, um, you know, to to be able to do that, to be able to bounce around and, and find and get to other networks and other services. Once they breach a, a device that's on a particular ISID or a particular segment, they can't see anything out of it. They can't see any gateways or anything to get out of that segment. So um, it's very, very well contained. Okay. You know, we're not necessarily saying, you're, you're not necessarily going to stop all breaches. Breaches do happen, but what we do do is you contain the breach um, into a segment if it does happen and protect your most valuable asset. So... From my understanding, moving from traditional IT to the cloud is not easy. It's quite difficult for a lot of people. So what would we say is like the common barriers or problems of of people trying to do that are you finding or you're supporting with? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's um, so if you look at the market, it's just worth understanding where the market's evolving Um there are some major benefits in um, transitioning towards, um, you know, what we call um, sort of cloud software as a service, and that's effectively what we're doing is we're taking the management management plane rather than managing it on prem. We're effectively lifting that into the sort of cloud, uh, whereby managing managing the entire wider wireless uh, network estate uh, into into the cloud. Um, so it's really cloud managed, unified with a single pane of Sort of glass and what, what's that doing is it's providing us significantly more data and this is really sort of metadata in terms of uh, twofold one it one is um, 
more visibility in terms of what's connecting into the network, uh, in terms of client information, network information, and Simon can go into more detail around uh, you know what that value is. But the other key benefit is um, really unlocking that value around um, data science, uh, because the fact that Extreme have, I mean, we have a very uh, robust cloud architecture that's been built on what we call the next generation, fourth generation cloud. You know, it's a, it's a global offering with our regional data centers, including an RDC in the UK, uh, which also helps, you know, especially public sector in terms of data sovereignty. But that's really built on a, a microservice type architecture. And then it allows us to, so some of the benefits here is it allows us to provide provision service at much faster in terms of speed and scale. Um, whereas the traditional on-premise, you know, that can take months and months in terms of new updates. Whereas in the cloud, because of our architecture, we have the, the, the ability to provide uh, much quicker, rapid innovation in terms of new updates, etc. Uh, the, the, the other value is, you know, we, we are managing significant amounts of data. I think it's, it's, it's in the petabytes and on, on a daily basis, in, in addition of 1.6 million management information. So that's a value the end customers are also going to perceive as well. Because we've got this rich data set, so then we can start using some of those AI and machine learning capabilities in terms of, okay, what is what is it that we're seeing in terms of that data? And, and, and that's both from a IT operational perspective. So it could be, as an example, maybe you know we're seeing some trends around the wireless and we can provide a more self-healing capability around how do we auto-tune that wireless to ensure from some of those MR insights, the Wi-Fi is running at optimum levels. But also it could mean um, potentially because of certain statistics, maybe thresholds of uh, utilization on the Wi-Fi, the switching, uh, provide you, provide end customers with more um, proactive healing capabilities as well. Okay, well, potentially this switch may be running high utilization. That's something that we need, need to look at in advance. Um and I mean, the, some of the challenges in the past has been, well, uh, you know, my, um, I'm managing this down in the cloud. You know, it's not necessarily on-prem, but those are really moved away. I mean, the, the, there's maybe security sort of questions, but that's something that we really pride ourselves in terms of how we address security. So our cloud architecture is fully, in fact, our own architecture is fully ISO, triple ISO accredited. I mean, Sam will go into that in a bit more detail. We're also focusing on our SOC 2 compliance uh, and as I mentioned early, uh, we're, you know, we're one of the first to provide a regionalized local uh, RDC as well to ensure that, you know, localized data sovereignty is uh, th- there's that assurance as well. Um, and, and, and us, especially post-pandemic, I mean, we did a survey recently, the majority of the end customers are now are transitioning towards cloud-managed architecture. In the past, it was maybe just generation one and just maybe limited to the wireless, but now it's it's widely accepted. Also, we have an end-to-end story in terms of managing our entire portfolio in the in the in the cloud as well. Um, so I'm not sure if there's anything else you wanted to add to that in terms of um, you know maybe some of the obstacles and. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to. I was going to to speak more more you know more generally about moving IT to the cloud because I mean obviously there's there's management capabilities and that's something that you know that's 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 where we play um, in in our products. But I mean there's there's the obvious one um, generally speaking if you're if you're moving your applications from 
um, you know, on-premise applications in your in your campus, inside your campus, inside your data center, and you're moving those applications um, out to uh, into the cloud, into the internet. You know, you're, we're, we're kind of we're, we're dramatically changing uh, the 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 topology where where we need to go to consume our applications. So the, the first thing um, is is getting visibility of who's consuming a particular application and you know and and what the path is to that application. Particularly if we have um, you know multiple sites, we have um, WAN links out to to remote sites. Um, you know. Those 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 remote sites may have been consuming an application that's sat on your main campus site, right? And if that uh, if that application now moves out it, 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 to the internet, if those those remote sites don't have their own internet connection. We kind of get this um, this crazy situation where the remote sites are consuming their application via their campus network and then out the internet site out of the, out of the internet connection from the campus site. So what you're seeing is those internet connections, those internet pipes have to start growing exponentially to allow those applications to be consumed in the cloud instead of instead of from from the main campus. Um, so what you know what we need to start thinking about moving towards is is, is a much more distributed approach. Um, how do these remote sites um, you know thinking about getting these remote sites to start consuming directly from the internet instead of over there? Their WAN links that they've got back to the, to to the central site. Key to that is is understanding where the traffic flows are going, how the traffic, you know, how the applications are performing, uh, and that's where we need to start levering um, leveraging some some kind of SD WAN tools, um, which is you know an arena that Extreme has started playing in um, this year with with the acquisition of the uh, Ipanema SD WAN. We are now. Um, offering that as as part of our solution, so that's a really you know that's probably the the most common problem um, that we see from when uh, organisations start moving their IT, start moving their applications into the cloud. How are we accessing that cloud? What's the data path? Um, and and how do we need to do that better rather than you know um, kind of tromboning it or even you know bottlenecking it through um, a central site. Obviously, you we've touched on quite a lot of what Extreme does, but if someone was com- doing a comparison, what would you say makes Extreme Networks different? Or yeah, why 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 are customers going for you? Why would what, you choose it? Yeah, why would you choose it over everybody else? Not that we'd ever, you know, but what's the comparisons? Yeah, uh, so I'll provide the high level, and then Simon can go into some of the uh, the detail if uh, if if needed. Um, Three three key areas where where we're successful. Um, uh, well, actually, the fourth one as well, which which I'll come on to in a second. Um, n- n- number one, we've really simplified the way we um, license our solution. Yeah, this is a big piece that uh, came out last yeah, week. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a ma- major major piece, uh, and if you look at the industry, generally, um, especially with, uh, and this is really born out of where are our competitors today in terms of uh, the uh, network estates, um, how are they transitioning to, you know, next generation cloud-based architecture, um, how they're also managing those licensing in terms of that transition. Uh, and then also then you look at the legacy estate out in the, in, in, in the UK and the, and the globe. 
Um, I think at least 25% of IT budgets and admin, IT admin time is attributed to purely managing IT uh, you know, generally in terms of a state, which includes the license element. So what we've done is, which is really a main major um, sort of differential, is we provide a simplified licensing. One device is one license. Uh, in addition, we allow our customers to pull that license as well as repurpose that license as well, which provides them with that sort of flex, flex, flexibility. Uh, and then also um, uh, how we operate that license as well in terms of um, access to um, you know some of those advanced capabilities like machine learning and AI, which which, which I mentioned. Um, the second bucket uh, is um, you know providing. Agility and flexibility, and everyone obviously mentions flexibility, but the real thing is um, two key elements. Is one is choice in terms of a cloud service provider. Some end customers may prefer, uh, you know, Azure or other cloud service providers. Others may ha- have their own pref- preference based on their application um, investments and based on their relationships, etc. Uh, also, giving them flexibility in terms of how they deploy that. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, what, what are the challenges in terms of moving towards a cloud-based architecture? Um, you know, others may have a, a big investment in terms of that on-prem, and they may want to do that at their own pace. So we're going to provide them with that um, flexibility. So we also offer what we call universal hardware. So it can be managed uh, on-prem today, but it has the ability, it has a dual person, it has the ability to be managed in the cloud as well moving forward. Uh, and, and then that flexibility around deployment, it could be private, public, or on, or remain on-prem in terms of an air-gap solution. And then the final point is um, really uh, more advanced security. Uh, and that's end-to-end, and that's also coupled with our fabric capability that we discussed at the uh, the, the beginning of this uh, session. You know, we provide that zero-touch and that policy-based, dynamic policy-based network at the edge of the network. You know, sort of Phil spoke about that initially. And then in, in addition, that, uh, stealth networking fabric that Simon alluded to, but then also in the cloud, it's fully secure, triple ISO uh, certified as well as SOC 2, uh, and and also with our SD WAN play, uh, there's a major focus in terms of ensuring that end-to-end security. Um, so I think those are the three key areas, and and on our our focus is the dyma- dynamics have changed from the ingress all the way to a distributed environment. We want to ensure we we provide customers. Twofold is, yes, secure access, but also a high-quality end-user experience as well. So, and, and that's really unlocked with that data analytics, that rich data analytics. How can we ensure that we provide that high level of uh, application quality experience end-to-end? Uh, it's high level. And then fourth, I'd say, um, if you look at you know, our market and our, some of our com- competitors, we are very much a customer and partner-focused um, vendor. You know, we have a very strong uh, uh, go-to-market to ensure that uh, you know that supporting our partners, our end customers, is is top of mind. Um, so for us, you know, that's absolutely key in terms of uh, you know our agility and our size, being able to ensure that you know we have those uh, close ties with our end, end end customers. I think that's important as well right now, especially as we scale. So we've invested heavily to ensure that we have a model that really ensures that we can maintain those high levels of customer service and um, you know, partnerships. Um, Sam, is there anything you wanted to, I know mine was a, more of a high level view, if there's anything else you wanted to add in terms of the types of architectures, et cetera, or? Yeah, I mean, I guess, guess maybe just to labor on, on 
what you were talking about, you know, what you alluded to when you started talking about the simplification of um, the licensing scheme. And I think uh, reducing complexity, simplifying uh, things is a really big play, a, a big thing that runs through everything that we do, you know, and everything that we're working on through, you know, that we're investing in and, and, and that our technology innovation brings. It's, it's all about um, simplification and automation. So, you know, one of the one of the biggest barriers that we see, especially in um, in the healthcare, certainly um, in the NHS, is um, you know complexity and, and expense is is really the, the killer of our innovation, and it's it's what holds IT uh, teams back from delivering the, that uh, digital transformation and delivering that technology that helps them to reach their high level goals of of you know uh, improving clinical outcomes so you know simplifying the buying experience for the, for the start with we're trying to take that pain that pain of change um that that's often perceived away so we want to simplify the buying experience through simplified licensing simplifying the the, the deployment of the technology um you know through the fabric automation you buy a fabric switch you connect two fabric switches together and they automatically create that um, that fabric network. So, um, you know, automating, making it, making it much, much, much more simple to deploy and through the management tools, making it simple to manage um, and giving um, that visibility and giving them that intelligence to make, um, you, you know, make those, the, the, the visibility to make those intelligent decisions about um, what we do with the infrastructure, how the infrastructure needs to change. Um, so I think simplicity, simplifying things and automating things is a, is a big part of what we do from a, from a technology standpoint and from a, a commercial, like a buyer's standpoint as well. Um, yeah. I know we touched on it last week, but the analytics piece um, that you talked about, um, um, and for, for me, from a marketeer, that was the bit that I was like, well, that's incredible of how... Um, what you're learning from the analytics piece that's not only helping the IT department but is also helping the marketing department. Um, could you give us a little bit more about, I think, that piece of, of the analytics and what you're learning and really how we're making data empowering people, aren't you, from what we know? Could you, either, Simon, would who, who, but that piece on the analytics and what you're learning and, and I guess what you're learning about us and how we use Wi-Fi and, and what we're up to when we're on it. It's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I, I, I can talk to you about um, extreme analytics. So the application analytics uh, software tool is part of um, some, some, some of your listeners may, may know it as Extreme Management Center, um, but what we're now calling it is uh, Extreme Cloud IQ uh, uh, Site Engine. So it's our, it's our kind of on-premise software. What we can actually give you with the application analytics tool is a view of how um, the applications are being consumed across the network. So the volume of the application, um, uh, where and who that application is being uh, consumed by, but also the performance of the application and not just the performance as a, as a kind of holistic view, but we can actually break out the performance of the application uh, and 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 show it uh, against the the performance of the network for that application. So, 
Um, as you can imagine, you know, at this point, the, the, the network managers is, is really pricked up because, you know, the biggest problem that they face and have been for a long, long, long time is whenever there is a poorly performing application, it's the network that is the first thing to be blamed. They then have to commit time and resource to prove that it is or isn't the wireless network. So it could be, you know, it could be a cloud-hosted application and the service provider is having a problem. It, it, it could be your own server team that's, that, you know, made a configuration mistake and, and that's causing issue. But it's always up to the network team to prove that. So what the application analytics tool does is it gives you an instant view. You can go and look at an application. You can see how that application is performing in terms of its response time and then look at how it compares to how the network is, is responding. And you'll see if there's a, you know, if there's a big difference if you're, the network is responding absolutely fine, but your application is responding really, really badly. You know you don't have a network issue. It's giving, it's empowering with that evidence-based approach to take, to, to take it and go. Look, this isn't. It's not my network. You need to go and, and, and look at, look at your servers or look at look at something else. I can prove it's not my network without having to send guys all over the place, all over the campus to remote sites, doing packet captures, uh, you know, cross-referencing all sorts of different things and wasting time. Um, uh, so from a networker, you've definitely covered. Can we discuss yeah. a little bit why me as a marketeer loved a lot of the analytics? Because you work for some pretty cool brands. I mean, I won't mention any, but you can mention any ones that you want to, where you know there's a large volume of people sat there on their phones and you know sure. what apps they're on what they're using, yep. how much time they're on it. Um, so how is that opening up and how are you realising that you're having different conversations and actually me of the world is like, well, hang on, I want a bit of that because you've got all the analytics I need to know, especially when it comes from a sponsorship point of view, where my brand's put out, what apps am I spending time on, am I making content for stuff? Could you give me a little bit of how, you know, now you're really breaking into other areas of a business and how it's more of a business case for a, a, a few departments rather than just IT, I guess. Yeah, sure. I, um, so you, you may or may not know um, about Extreme, but we are a long-standing uh, partner with the NFL, the National Football League, um, over in the US. And again, you know, part of what we brought to the table when we when we spoke to the NFL is is all around uh, fan engagement and changing that experience inside the stadium for the fans. Um, but also a big part of it was, um, uh, you know, what the NFL, what the teams could glean from the fans once they were in, uh, once they were in, in the stadium. So this weekend, I don't know when this is going to go out. Uh, we're about to see the ninth Super Bowl in a row where extreme analytics is being deployed right. um, to, to, to garner those insights. But you know, if you think about what we just said about. Um, the application visibility, we can see uh, at a very granular level what applications are being consumed within a stadium. Uh, or, or even if you're a retailer, people that are in your store, what are they do, yeah. doing? Are they using loyalty apps, things like that? So that becomes really valuable information. And we can do all sorts of reporting on um, what it is that the applications are that are being used in the stadium. Is everybody using WhatsApp? Is everybody using Snapchat? Or are they using Instagram? TikTok. You know, um, are they all on TikTok? TikTok. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I did hear some anecdotal stories about when they started to deploy this in the NFL. They were huge on Facebook. Right, everything, they were plowing everything into Facebook. Right. Actually, when they deployed the Extreme Analytics, they realized that Facebook was such a small portion of what was being used. Everybody was using Snapchat and Instagram mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. and they had absolutely no idea. So yeah. this is, now they're saying, well, we're, we're direct, directing our marketing funds to the wrong place. This is what I loved about it. it, it exactly. cool. yeah. It's so cool. And and you were saying that you could tell me, for example, if if I ran a retail store, if you put on, or even if you're a bookstore, right, and you brought in a guest speaker to do signings, you could see the amount of difference of maybe the volume of people coming into the store. So you would know what it was worth booking that person in because it increased. So for a marketeer, for the first time ever, you can go, well, where's the data? <laughs> like actually on it. Like, I think that's amazing. Like we, for a long time, you know Facebook, you need to be on it or you know and that you have a little bit of analytics. But to be able to actually have that on a dashboard and say, well, no, these fans, these people. And you could probably even work yeah. out I don't know, location or um, which, um, if you're a football team, if you're playing West Ham or Manchester United or, or anyone, if, if they do different or different areas. I, I find it from a marketeer that empowering data is incredible, really, of how we use our phones yeah. and, and what we do. Exactly. Cool. And, and all of a sudden, you know, when we, when we think about it, now you're, now you're adding value in a different place. Now, now, you, might, now you may have a marketing department mm-hmm saying actually this is something that we need invest to invest in because this this could pay us back yeah. so you're actually tapping into another uh, a, a different pot of money within an organization not just trying to not just trying to squeeze blood from the stone mm-hmm. from, from the poor it guys where every anything new and that's technical comes on it all comes out of the it budget for some reason you know it, we, 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 we can look to other departments to say this is going to help you yeah, this is going to save you money. So maybe you need to think about how we fund this as well. It'd be something that we'd both love, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Darwood and Simon, for your time today. I think for all of, for me, definitely, I've learned so much about Extreme in the last two weeks, and I think there's so much more to learn. So I think this is probably the first podcast of money when we get more information and what people want to know so thank you so much for your time and for being with us today um, and we look forward to catching up with you soon thank you, thank you as well look forward thanks, to thanks. bye thank you bye bye